Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Cause. This episode is brought to you by Ariva and Microsoft, the thought leaders behind the industry's only completely integrated and fully automated all-in-one digital fundraising, donor relationship management, healthcare hospitality, and auction software platform. I'm joined by my awesome co-host guest, Jay Fisk. How are you doing today, Jay? David, as always, uh, doing great. I hope you are as well. And I'm excited uh, because we have a wonderful guest today, don't we? Yes, we do. You're so right on that. Well, today's going to be a great episode because we have an amazing guest, Brian Quayle. And he's the author of a highly anticipated book, The Ultimate Guide for New Nonprofit CEOs. This is amazing. Brian's book has been hailed as the secret to long-term leadership success. Brian is also the founder and CEO of Quail Consulting, which focuses on guiding nonprofit CEOs and boards to achieve exceptional results. Prior to this, Brian spent four decades in the nonprofit industry, serving in the role of CEO for three affiliates of national organizations, the heart of Florida United Way, the American Red Cross in Louisville, and Boys and Girls Clubs of Broward County. During his career, Brian has been able to raise over $1 billion towards human services. Thank you for being here today, Brian. Thanks, David. Great to be with you and Jay. Well, we're so happy you could be here with us today. Brian, let's get started. Could you share with our listeners some information about yourself and how you got started in the nonprofit industry? Sure. Uh, you know, I uh, grew up in a uh, Roman Catholic family, the youngest of four, and uh, I guess you could say that um, because of our affiliation and the charity work that we did through our church and other means, I also had an uncle who was a priest and a brother who later was a priest as well. So there was always this feeling and devotion almost to help others. And mm. for me, um, you know, I, I kind of just look back on what you learn and how you grow and what you become, right? So that was something that became the foundation really of, of for my career. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight uh, today that, you know, the support of my wife and my daughter uh, when I was uh, working as a president CEO and now uh, their support in helping me to really champion and cheer me on with, uh, with this book um, has been such great fun. And the thing that I really look back at is how I started all this. And, and really it was that when I was at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and in my sophomore year declared my major as a sociology major, community services minor. Um, and in doing that, uh, I had the opportunity really to do some very innovative internship programs, did some things with some professors that um, really even brought me closer to community when I was at uh, UMass Amherst. And that kind of carried over into, as I was graduating from uh, UMass, uh, I had a professor who said, you know, what's your next step? And I thought I was going to actually go out there and thought my focus was going to be more in the uh, law enforcement area, possibly probation officer doing something like that. And uh, this professor convinced me and said, you know, you're way too smart for that. You're going to graduate school and, you know, just get over yourself. And I <laughs> kind of laughed and uh, and I did. And I got accepted at the University of Chicago, uh, went to the School of Social Service Administration. And I think the thing that I've been fortunate enough to in my life is to listen to others and seek their counsel and guidance and then make good decisions. Um, so for me, uh, you know, I, I stated clearly that I wanted to be a leader in either the public or nonprofit sector. And while at the university, I had a professor who had been the uh, budget director for the city of Boston and Mayor Kevin White at the time. And he then was living in Chicago and teaching at the university. And he said, hey, Brian, if you really want to learn about nonprofits and leadership, you need to work in a budget shop. So I listened to that advice and um, 
I actually did a three-year stint in the um, uh, Illinois Bureau of the Budget um, in, uh, in the state of Illinois for Governor Jim Thompson. And that was really pivotal because it gave me all the analytical background I needed, how to work across the aisle, um, what legislation does and how to analyze it and so many other things. And um, and then after that three years, uh, and, and this is something that I, I'm sure our listeners can relate to, is that people reached out back to me from my graduate school days where I did an internship with the United Way Crusade of Mercy in Chicago. And the person that I had internship with actually became the HR person of the entire uh, uh, United Way system at the time in the Chicagoland area. And she just said, hey, if you want to be that leader you want to be, you got to learn how to raise money. Come, I've got an entry-level job position opened uh, here in Chicago. I think you'd be great. And, you know, it was one of those things of first with the budget job, I thought to myself, I don't want to be a number cruncher. Uh, and it was far from that. Then I want to ask people for money. Ooh, gosh, am, am I going to be good at that? And what I quickly learned is that all the skill sets that I built during my time at the Bureau of the Budget really transferred over uh, to being a, a good analytical fundraiser and making a case and cause for something that you believed in. So, um, yeah, it's been a really fun ride. And I want to continue this ride now to help other CEOs that are starting out or people thinking about wanting to be a CEO. Uh, and also those people who are currently CEOs thinking about, do I jump to that next opportunity or not? Um, I think my book really will help so many people in so many ways, and also the important role boards play in supporting their CEOs. And I really think, David and Jay, that has, there's a gap here, and we need yeah. to close that gap and we need to fix it quickly. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit, because according to the Harvard Business uh, Review, one third to one half of new CEOs, you know, your target, your target audience fail in the first 18 months on the job. And uh, so, you you know, you wrote this book, The Ultimate Guide for New Nonprofit CEOs, and it's been described as a must have for nonprofit CEOs and their boards to try and, you know, try and rectify that dismal odds and, and maybe create more success. Would you share with us? how your book will help a new nonprofit CEO beat those uh, staggering statistics. Yeah, and um, let me throw a little bit more statistics and then I'll jump right into uh, answering your question directly. You know, what I also learned was that 18 to 22% uh, of CEOs in the nonprofit space will leave their positions annually. And that number has probably increased since the pandemic. Um, also, another uh, fun fact is that Right now, uh, over 10,000 baby boomers retire each day, and they'll and that will keep going until 2030. And the reason why I bring that up is because that's where the transition and the leadership gap, I believe, currently exists. And we know from also the data that um, CEOs in the nonprofit arena. Uh, last about six years in their role uh, and, and move on. And so if you're a board member, a board chair, um, the standard two consecutive three-year terms um, where 75% of nonprofits follow that, you're going to be part of a search committee process looking for a new leader. So one of the things that I felt was really important is looking at how my background and my work could help those CEOs who are what I call outsider CEOs that come in outside yeah. of the organization and those CEOs who are insiders who actually uh, were promoted from within. But each of them, each of those CEOs will have a challenge. And so as I switched from opportunity to opportunity, as David outlined in the beginning of the program, um, I developed five frameworks. And these five frameworks are, uh, I believe, um, the secret sauce 
of people being able in their first year on the job um, to get to know their organizations faster and to really kind of uh, do some things that people would say, hey, that's onboarding, and it is but it's self-onboarding. What I've learned through this process is that boards, after they hire a CEO, typically are so glad to have their leader that they throw the keys or the door to the organization to them and say, glad you're here. Let me know if you need something. I got to get back to work. So let me start off with five frameworks. The first one is 90 days. Uh, I basically say that uh, your first 90 days should be your fact-finding mission and that you're stepping out framework one. It's using that first 90 days because that's also your honeymoon period where people are going to give you a chance. So that part of my book is really specific and I lay it out with lots of questions. It's almost what I like to say, I'm providing the questions to the test before you take it. Um, framework two is entitled your team. And so when you come in, you're inheriting a team of people that you know, you've got to decide pretty quickly, are they going to be the people that you want to have on the bus with you moving forward? Um, and so all the questions and all the things that you gathered in the first 90 days will actually be utilized um, to really look and shape your, your current management team and beyond. And also the thing that I found is that not only are you looking at them, they're looking at you. And, you know, people do take action. And when a change like this is made, people leave the organization. So you will also have the opportunity to fill new positions. And at the same time, you're going to learn pretty quickly someone's position if they go to leave, because you've got to jump on that pretty quickly. The third framework is what I call the financials. And the financials is, yes, your standard, you know, audited financial statements and other things. But I love looking at the 36 months of cash flow that an organization has, um, looking at your accounts payable and receivable and seeing what's the picture that you see. And are there things that you need to take action on and to understand um, in your first year? And I came into one situation where, uh, you know, this organization had great grants and they were reimbursements, but yet there was a problem with cash flow and they were using a line of credit. And when I delved into things, what I found out was there were, they were lagging in billing to 60 to 90 days of not providing the funder with the necessary invoicing, thus creating cash flow problems. And so it's those little things that you got to get in and look in under the hood. Um, Fourth framework is donor relationships, uh, something which I think your audience here is going to love. Because one of the things that I love doing, and in this framework that I go through, is really say, understand your portfolio. What's the revenue look like? What's made up of of grants, individual gifts, endowment draws? Is there transactional giving that your nonprofit generates? And then who's who's responsible for that? And what does it look like? Mm -hmm. And I also, in this day and age with the new uh, giving, uh, USA giving standards coming out, we're seeing that individual giving by far outpaces everything else of foundation, corporate, and endowment giving. But we also know that it's the fourth year of decline in individual giving, which is kind of a red flag coming up. So you've got to really start to look at with your board and your teams on how you will switch that dynamic. And so I always operated from a mindset of abundance. So many execs and so many boards say, oh, you know, there's so much competition out there. We can't do it. The economy, you know, we're just not going to do well. My attitude is if you don't have an abundance mindset, you're in the wrong business in the nonprofit arena because you got to be passionate to be able to tell your story, tell it well. And in doing that, you got to have the head in the heart approach. And so fundraising platforms are really critical. When I think about event fundraising, which, you know, my organizations that I was, uh, you know, 
fortunate to lead, you know, you can run a great event, but at the end of that event, if you don't have a good well-seasoned checkout humming, the last thing people remember is, oh, I waited 30 minutes to check out. You know, everything else was great. It's awful, right? So that's yeah. one thing where I try to do that. And the wow. fifth framework is um, what I call bringing it all together and understanding the who. And the who is really who you serve. And if you do in the first year, all the things that I suggest in the first um, four frameworks, then you have the foundation and the footing to drive things moving forward. And I like to say, in your first year, you're working in the business. But then after your first year, you start to have to transition out and you have to work on the business. You have to work on what it is they hired you to do. Yeah. Um, so that is in a nutshell, very quickly, and I, I apologize for going so fast, but those are the five frameworks. And you know, I, I like to say, as my wife said, you gave everything that you know in this book for others to really benefit from. And good for you. And I and that's why I'm here with you both today, because I really, truly believe that um, for me, I had to find my way. I'm glad I had these frameworks, but I hope uh, this discussion and those listening that they'll invest in this book, because whether you're currently a CEO or not, um, yeah. this will help you. Let, let me ask Ryan. you a quick follow up question, uh, if, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. you, you talk about promoting from within. How often do you encounter people that want to be the leader and they work trying to become the leader? And then the day occurs that they get promoted to CEO and they are the leader. And then they discover that one of the things they're supposed to do is lead mm -hmm. and they, and they aren't prepared for it. And, you know, they, I didn't realize I was responsible for all of this. Do you, do you encounter people that sort of have second thoughts once they get there? I have, and I did. And fortunately, I had the opportunity to mentor those people during the course of my career. And what I like to say is, you know, that's normal. That's human nature that we all feel. And if you don't feel nervous and if you don't feel a little bit itchy, um, then, you know, <laughs> you're probably not human. Yeah. But what for me, as I looked, I, you know, I cut my teeth, as I told you, on budgeting and fundraising. I knew that really, really well. But I didn't know the client service side of the organizations that I went to serve. But how much fun I had learning that and asking those questions was just paramount, I believe, to my success of being a quality fundraiser. Um, the thing that I would say, Jay, that what I do see is that on the opposite side of the spectrum is that there's not enough succession planning going on in the nonprofit arena, as I would like to see. Yeah. There's a lot of people being hired from the outside. And what boards tend to do is that they tend to think, oh, Joe, who is with the bank for 20 years, maybe he'd be a good nonprofit leader for us. Um, or, you know, there's somebody that we think was the superintendent of schools and maybe they can lead our organization to do a good job. You know, and what I found is when people step into these roles, they have to know their strengths and they have to know their weaknesses. And for me, even though I had good budgeting background, I had to learn what it meant that the buck stopped with me to make decisions. And being a CEO is, it's highly stressful, but at the same time, it's wonderful because you get to lead people that really have a passion for the work. Yeah. So um, those are things that I, I kind of gained through my experience. The, the thing that I do caution, or not caution, but would encourage um, those people thinking about you know, being a CEO or wanting to be a CEO is making sure that there's boards that are going to help them through the process. Sure. And they just can't say, this is, this is your baby, run it. Um, there's got to be a partnership. Um, and that partnership really, really is um, 
key to having a healthy nonprofit organization to move things forward. Brian, first of all, thank you for sharing the framework because I think you gave a lot of uh, people on our audience the start thinking about, I need to get this book because I want to drill down into each one of those pieces. And I, I will just share this because we do sell in the nonprofit industry and it is for the nonprofits. But I think all of those five principles could possibly apply in any industry across the board. Um, and I think may, maybe changing the rule of your four framework of donor relations would be client relations would all apply. And I love all of that. Um, and it, it was great. But you also led me into the next question as in your book. And you said, I hope we have time today to talk about the three T's and three, three G's. So, you know, you call the strategy the three G's or the three T's and the three G's to measure and improve nonprofit performance. Could you, and I know you asked about that. I'd love for if you would elaborate that on those principles for us. Yeah, and uh, in each of the scenarios when I was hired to uh, be a CEO, the um, the question I asked during my interview process was, so tell me, how engaged is the board here? You know, uh, you're all a search committee and yes, then there's the board, but, you know, tell me, you know, where's... What are the strengths and what are the weaknesses? And every time what I would hear from them is, wow, we really wish that more people on our board would carry their weight. And we don't know how to measure that. And so I you know, would say, okay, um, if I'm your person, I will have something to bring to the table to help in this process. So the three T's is pretty basic. And if you're a fundraiser out there, a leader, you've heard these before, most likely, but it's how you put it together and how you can base what I call a board performance scorecard on these topics. And as you evaluate staff on their roles and responsibilities, you have to do the same with your board. And it's a it's one of those touchy areas because as a CEO, the board members are really the people you work for. So you have to convince them to adopt the strategy and to do the scorecards. But at the same time, uh, what I also found is that organizations didn't have roles and responsibilities for their um, board members to follow. Uh, you know, they didn't give them the guide for, hey, while we want you to be uh, on our board, we also need you to, to help us raise money. So the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. So what's the time that you will spend in the organization and what's the talent that you will bring to the table? And then what treasure can you bring as a board member? And the treasure can be, yes, you know, signing the checks to, to the organization to meet your commitment for the year. Uh, but it's also being what I would call a treasure hunter for the organization. Who are the people that in, in your network that you would want to share with them about this awesome organization that you're working for. And you know, David and Jay, you work with so many outstanding organizations. And I, I'm, I feel very humble today to, to be here and to be asked. And one of the things that, that I said to board members was, you know, it's really simple. You, we just have to measure their performance based on the goals that we set for them. So with time, talent, and treasure, it's pretty simple, um, which leads into the three Gs, give, get, and go. So the give becomes, hey, this is what we're going to ask every board member to give during their time on an annual basis to the organization. And sometimes um, people can get a little bit antsy and I'll use the example, um, I worked in an organization that said, hey, we want each board member to have as its goal to set a $10,000 goal annually of giving and or getting. So the getting becomes, how do you 
possibly sell tables, work on committees, get items for you know your donor auction, all the things that equate to the give and get strategy. And it was something when I put these scorecards together, the, the first one on the time talent is basically looking at their attendance and the actions that they do within the organization. You know, most organizations should and need to have how many meetings during the course of a year a board member needs to attend. And if they miss a certain amount, that's a challenge, that's a problem. Uh, in order to be present is really important. And then the other scorecard is basically, if there's that $10,000 goal, you know, what's the give, what's your personal gift gonna be towards that 10,000? And then what work can you do to help to get to that level of $10,000? And so basically I created a, a, a second scorecard that basically just, and I go into great depth in it in the book. So, you know, I, uh, I, I want people to read that section because it's really a good way for people to measure performance. And, and the go part is if a person doesn't do their give, doesn't do their get, they're missing board meetings and not providing the talent that you need, yeah. then maybe it's time for them to go. Time to go. Yeah. And and that's something where that's not a CEO's decision. That becomes a board role right. and nominating committee process to do. So, you know, that's where those goals need to be established. And I go into that in more in depth in the book. And I can tell you, people really get it because they want to be successful. And ask a busy person, the busiest person to do something for you. And all they want to know is, what's the goal? How do I get it done? And what are the tools? And can you train me? And those are the things that I kind of feel that this time, talent, and treasure and give, get, and go really become important because people take pride in it. And, and the other thing about this particular discussion is that I made sure I always had mission moments at every board meeting. I made sure that there was a client or there was a situation or there was a board member that could talk about what touched them because of our agency. And you need to use those mission moments to spur people onto action. And if they're just coming to board meetings and not stepping into you know, the walls of your organization and interacting with people, you have a problem. You yeah. need to have committed volunteers that understand the mission. So that's, that's what the three T's and the three G's are all about. Right. I, I like how you break it down. Just, I mean, it's really simple concepts with the three T's, the three G's, give, get, go. I love that. Uh, and it makes total sense, total sense. We, we, you know, we have a lot of nonprofit CEOs and executive directors who listen to the show. And uh, you talked about what it takes to become a CEO. How can, what sort of strategy can you help those CEOs in building out their team of senior management because you know you know you don't want CEOs to do it all themselves right you want them to right. be able to delegate so what what sort of strategies can you share that will help that new CEO build a successful senior management team well first buy the book because i devote one whole chapter to that and okay. where i basically ask questions of each direct report and yeah. and how they can evaluate that person the other thing my advice would be you need to go with your gut. And what I mean by that is as leaders, when you come in, you need to take, and that's what the 90 days is about. You're listening to what people have to say. And I'll give some examples. Board member says, so good to have you here as our new CEO. You know, Jim, who is on your management team, he's a really good guy. But, you know, we almost let him go because he can just be really surly. And, you know, there's yeah. some things around here that uh, we kind of question if if he's right, if he's the right person in the seat. So 
you know, what you have to do from there is that sometimes there's <laughs> there's those things that come to you and people will, will see, will you take action based on information they're providing? And what I would do in that instance, it would be to do more probing questions to see what type of leader they are, to actually do more questions of the board members who, who possibly shared that information or even staff to that, to that matter. And, you know, the biggest thing about this topic is that you can't be afraid to make decisions. There have been people who uh, didn't make a leadership change and it caused a lot of challenges and delayed a lot of good action within their organization. Um, and, you know, there really isn't kind of that golden rule or golden nugget. I think what it really boils down to is seeing, do you have that personal connection to see from the team that you're going to work with moving forward to drive this agency forward to new heights? Do you have the right people in the right seats? And sometimes it's just, in my experience, um, I usually had five to six direct reports. And in my first 12 months, usually two to three people either would leave on their own or I had to make change to restructure what was going on. And you do that through thoughtful analysis. And I, and I can say, David and Jay, I never went into an organization looking to do what I would call ripping and gripping. You know, I, I know best get out of the way. But as the old saying goes, bad news doesn't get better over time and neither yeah. do non-performers. And so yeah. if you have non-performers, people who are causing havoc, gotta face it. And it's either they change or, you know, you gotta make a change. Is, is there a risk though, when you mentioned uh, the CEO comes in and the, and the board the board member approaches that new CEO right out of the shoot and says, you know, glad you're here. By the way, so-and-so, you know, uh, we almost let him go. That whole scenario. Is is there a risk of that CEO allowing the board to move beyond an advise and consent role and into a management role by too quickly uh, making a decision to please the board as opposed to sort of cooling their jets for a little bit, getting to know it, do their own observations of that of that individual and then make the decision through what they see rather than what they heard. Great follow-up question. What, how I always approached it is I thank people for their input and then took the time to understand if there was really validity to the situation. And I can personally say, I'll give one instance where a board member made that statement to me about a person who worked for me and she was seen as being a person who was just really tough to work for and she's gruff and she's this and she's that and you know when I sat down with her she was the most dedicated person there was she showed me how she was training her team and her staff but that people who didn't perform, she would put them on performance improvement plans to try to help them to be better leaders. But when people didn't make the transition and didn't want to do the hard work, she basically you know, said to me as a new leader, um, I know I'm kind of seen as you know, someone who could be looked at as being the grim reaper. But at the same time, when you look at my numbers, you know, our department hums. We're helping people. People we hire have the right credentials. They're doing the right things. And so for me, you have to take each individual case and be methodical and never jump. And, you know, I enjoyed actually going back to the volunteer and yeah. saying, you got this one wrong. And here's why. And the response I got was, thank you so much for taking the time to do what you just did or else we would have been in some hot water. Right. And, and the answer would have been, yeah, we would have. <laughs> so yeah. each case is individual. And I never made the, I never made the assumption that somebody wasn't, you know, 
savable, I guess is the yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't turn them around. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, there are some people, Jay, that unfortunately we ended our relationship with yeah. over the course of my tenure on different goals that I had. But, you know, people came back to me later on and thanked me for doing what I did because I helped them to realize that they needed to change. Yeah. And, you know, I felt pretty good about the prospect of when that happened, that, again, I went with my gut, I built my facts, I understood the change I made, but I always gave people concrete reasons why we had to end our relationship and that it wasn't personal, it wasn't emotional, uh, it was factual. Hey, Brian, you've talked a lot about some of the things in your book today, and uh, and there are many many, many facets of how really a successful transition into this new role of a nonprofit CEO is important. Uh, and, and then you said, boy, I would love to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the frameworks that I have. And and you've outlined a really good blueprint. So I'm going to take advantage of your time right now and ask you about the 90 days after stepping into the role. Can you share those 90 days, what that really looks like and what should be achieved in that time frame? I'll use the example when I had the honor to lead uh, the United Way as its president and CEO in Central Florida. When I came in, uh, we were funding 78 agencies and 100 programs within those agencies at the time. So I decided that my goal for myself was within 90 days to meet every single agency director at their location. And so our United Way was a tri-county area. And so what it basically gave me the opportunity to do was to not only go meet people on their terms, but it also gave me the opportunity to learn the, the three counties that I was serving. And so I got to see things where the pockets of poverty were where the pockets of wealth were. Um, and at the same time, uh, when I set that audacious goal to meet all 78 agency directors in 90 days, I also set the audacious goal that I would meet with all my direct reports and their direct reports and to do group meetings within every department to achieve what I felt um, was really important at that time. Now, some of our folks po possibly listening going, well, what about the donors? Um, well, how, what I did there was to use and ask questions when I was meeting with agency executives because uh, we had common donors. So, some of these donors actually came to those site visits when they knew I was going to different agencies, or I had a volunteer that I'd say, hey, I'm going to such and such an agency. I know that Mr. and Mrs. Smith are huge supporters. Do you think you could call them to let them know I'm going there? And you know, I'm sure that agency, and I, and I want to give my appreciation to them. Do you think we can do that at the same time? And David, it was great. And, and so it created a buzz within the community that this fundraising background guy of nine years within the United Way system, the first action he was taking was to go see every agency director and the programs that they were funding and yeah. to understand what was going on in the community. In my other experiences, I did the same. At, at Red Cross, I, you know, I went, we covered Louisville and Southern Indiana, and we were also what was called the state lead for disaster response within the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So once again, I got in my car, I, I went out and I saw those areas that during times of disaster would be shelter operations. Um, I met with volunteers who were our uh, disaster relief volunteers and the training that we did and, you know, met with funders who were funding the program and what was their passion for us. And it was, you know, just great great fun during that 90 day period because 
it was drinking from a from a fire hose for sure. And at the same time, I was making decisions about the business, but it is the business. And that's where people, when they were reading my book and have read my book, and you can see some of the comments on Amazon that they that have been left, they get it now. They see how that action during the first 90 days becomes really pivotal and foundational. And it, and it says the type of person you're going to be. Um, and that you're, you know, cause driven, you know, driven by cause, right? It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's about, it's about that. And um, that's where this 90 days really, for me, was out of all the frameworks, the most fun, because I learned the most. And I can tell you that people would also tell me good things about my staff or not so great things about my organization that they thought we needed to fix. I mean, it was a time of reveal. And I always, you know, like to say to new CEOs, to these men and women that are starting and Jay, there's nothing better than getting rid of the cobwebs when you go to see the people that you work with in action. All of a sudden, all that stuff goes away and it says, gosh, I got to do this. I am the leader. And you know what? We're going to take things to new heights and new levels. And that's what that 90 day does. And whenever I had a bad day after you know being the CEO in, in each of my things, um, responsibilities, if I was having a bad day, I always went to one of my sites to see service being delivered. I say that first 90 days sort of sets your trajectory. It, it does. And and it, 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 yeah, and it also helps you to remember, yeah. never forget what you learned and go yeah. back to, and when you're having that back day, bad day, it grounds you. It yeah. helps you to be a better leader. No, it was actually, it was great. I, I mean, I actually really enjoy all of these things. And, and, and then you said a couple of things earlier about, you know, this is the fourth year an individual giving decline, right? And then where everybody's talking about, or, you know, you know, because there is an issue about donor acquisition and engagement and retention. And when you talk about those three things, it really comes down to a few different things, right? It's, it's, I'm declining on my giving, right? Because I'm not retaining. Um, how do I offset that by an acquisition? And then I love the words that you're using because they resonate with me so well as experiences, right? So you've, you you know, I mentioned earlier, and it's really commendable what you've done in, in actually saying that you've ra helped raise over a billion dollars. And you've sort of outlined that, not sort of, you've outlined that of how to raise revenue beyond your expectations. I really love this. And as a former leader in the nonprofit organizations, can you share now some of your fundraising experiences and successful strategies that you've used in the past to raise more for your mission and how new CEOs can implement these best practices? The first uh, point that I would make is that know your numbers, know the historical aspects of giving within your organization, uh, know the historical aspects of your top donors and why they're giving to you, because that can be transformational. And, you know, individual giving, as we've said, far outpaces everything else. So knowing your numbers means you're knowing the people who are giving you their hard earned money to do the work that you're doing. And you need to understand why do they give to you? Uh, and and that's, pretty, that's pretty crucial, right? Um, I always like to say too that uh, one thing I learned is know that people are watching you and you never know when that next big gift is gonna come, come around. And, you know, I was blessed in two different situations where um, family members who were on my board had very successful um, family who had foundations and who were very generous. And they became my advocate uh, our organization's advocate to sit down and to take a, um, a proposal. And 
what I learned in that experience is that people on my own board never told me, but they were sharing all of the communication from annual reports, newsletters that we were doing, um, things that I would write during times of crisis. And this is my Red Cross experience about what we were doing and how we were doing it during Katrina. Um, letters that I sent back from being down in the Ninth Ward and was a part of the team that helped to reopen the city of New Orleans. And, you know, those, that communication piece, that's why I say people are watching. And if you communicate effectively and efficiently um, I'm always a believer. I love to over communicate and let somebody tell me I'm over communicating and, and I can always ease back, but I'd rather tell more about what I'm doing, action I'm taking and the difference their gift is making, because that will inspire them to do more. Um, you know, I've covered with you all the leading with an abundance mindset and in leading with an abundance, abundance mindset also puts you on the precipice of establishing aggressive goals. And, you know, goals are set to yes, to be made, but goals need to be set to, you know, really put a stake in the ground and, and challenge ourselves, um, to do the very best we can. And that's where I believe lofty goals translates into your board members, your staff, your volunteers, being your treasure hunters, um, being people who can make connections and help you to get to that next level of giving. And I hope this resonates with people and I hope that they they have had, they can have a shared experience because, you know, I've had board members who initially said, I can't raise $10,000, but yet turn around and help me to acquire a $1.5 million gift. Mm. <laughs> I mean, wow, yeah. right? Transformation. Right. And they didn't realize it until I kind of help to show them yeah. and my team yeah. help to train them to realize here's what we mean. And, you know, there's, there's two things that in fundraising that volunteers uh, and I get it uh, don't like about fundraising is that um, they don't like asking for money and they don't like being told no. Yeah. Uh, and so those are two dynamics that just, I you know, that. right. So. Yeah. And what I always would say to my volunteers is, well, don't let that get you down because no just means not right now. Yeah. yeah? And it, it's it's the mindset of, hey, maybe I'll come back with something that you will be interested in. So yeah. Yeah. those are the, those are kind of the things that I find in doing fundraising over, you know, four decades. Had plenty of no's in my time, but, you know, um, I've had a lot of hits and a lot of wins um, because I, I got up to the plate and I asked. Yeah, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because it, when I teach how to get auction items, say hearing no is obviously one of the biggest barriers, you know? Yep. So what I, what I try and share with with uh, clients is that if you're asking for auction items, let's not, let's, let's take cold call out of the equation. Sure. Deal with people that you already know. You know, you start with yourself, start with your spouse, immediate immediate family, extended family, coworkers, neighbors, friends, people that have asked you for a favor, places where you shop, all those sorts of things, because you're more likely to hear yes than no, number one. And uh, you know, when you cold call, you're you're asking someone you've never met to give something of value to them, to someone they don't know for a cause they know nothing about. And you're setting yourself up for failure when you do that. So, uh, you know, go, you know, in other words, fish in the pond where you know there's fish. And, uh, and you know, Jay, you just triggered something in me that I'd like to share with the audience. And that is, if you're a new CEO and you come in, look at the lapsed donors on file. Yeah. Because there's yeah. a reason why they stopped giving, but there may be a great reason why now that they might want to yeah. give. Sure. And, well, you know, I, I love it because... As we all know, to acquire a new donor is costly. Right. But 
with lapse donors who already know you right. and already know the mission, yeah. maybe there was something that ruffled their feathers. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a case study in this book that talks about a, a foundation and a relationship that uh, I had to work through coming in as a new CEO. Uh, it took time to rebuild and repair, but, you know, it, they came back around to us. Um, and so I really encourage people out there, look at your lapsed donor list. Um, well, well, this, this, uh, this leads hundred percent. This leads right into my next question, okay. which is in your book, you talk about analyzing data and how critical it is to the success of a, non, of a nonprofit. And uh, obviously that makes, that makes sense. So talk, talk a little bit about ways of analyzing data and how to, how the numbers can help assure the success of a new CEO. And a part of that, I would assume is you know, go go back to your old data and see who's been giving before. What what other types of data would would they analyze? In one of my experiences, we established the snack and supper program, so I was able to talk about um, and we collected through um, the intake form that when people signed up to be members of our organization, we asked families ranges of where their income fell. And so I was able to utilize and to say, hey, you know, over the course of this year, we we served over, you know, 800,000 snacks and meals to kids whose uh, family income was less than $20,000 annually. Um, and that data is all data that's not dollar driven per se. It's it's about clients. It's about what you do. It's about a program, right? That you're operating. And so th the thing that I find is how can I use data to tell my story to hit the head and the heart? Because there are people out there who are analytical as all get out and they just wanna know the facts and the numbers and to heck with the heart story. Then you got the folks who want the heart story, they don't really care about the analytical and, but put a couple together that has wealth and you know she has the analytical side, he has the heart side. And when you combine that story together, wow, recipe for yeah. success because they you meet both objectives. And an interesting piece about the Snack and Supper program was that it also helped within the organization for my staff not to work in silos anymore. Mm -hmm. That they realized that the fundraising team needed the information about services provided that information that our membership clerks at each of our locations were putting in about families and about inform and we never use people's names but the aggregate data helped to tell a story that we were serving people who were under severely under the poverty line and with you know 67% of our clients uh, being single parent households yeah got we had the opportunity to tell that story and it it wasn't until i brought teams together on the management team to say we need each of these pieces to tell an effective story and that's how the data really becomes um, the opportunity for success yeah. the last point on this if i may sure so many funding organizations have their data requests of you, right? I always challenge myself to say, what are data points that they're not asking me for that might entice them to want to provide additional funding? And so when it came to the snack and supper program, I actually used that with another funder to say, after, you know, when the kid, when the kids come to the club, they get a snack. And then what we do, we do our homework help program. But there's also a math and reading program for kids who are struggling in math and reading that if I got more licenses to provide funding for 
Broward, in my case, Broward County school teachers to come to our organization and actually do the math and reading part and have our staff just take care and do the activities of what they were hired to do will be highly successful. And I'll provide you the data to show results of how our kids progress and will do better. And it was because they were so enthralled with kids getting a snack and a hot meal before they left that they of course said, my gosh, uh, we've got to fund your education initiative. And that helped to tell the story. And then I had another data point where I could show the kids who were not only getting the snack and the supper, but were, who were also getting the math and the reading help that they so desperately needed. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a great way to actually show donors how their contributions make a difference. Nice. Very nice. Well, Brian, this has been great. We've spoken a lot about your work. I think we could probably spend about 14 more hours on this, and it really is exciting. But I'm curious to know, what is something about you that might surprise our audience to find out? I've got one, but um, you'll laugh, David and Jay, but um, I'm addicted to my Scrabble app on my computer. And <laughs> I, I love I love beating the computer, right? Uh, when I play against a single player. That's and funny. then what I do is that when friends and family, when we use the traditional Scrabble board, I love talking smack about how I'm going to kick everybody's backside. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I'm an avid Scrabble app user to the fullest. The last question we always ask, uh, is uh, we like to finish by asking, what question didn't we ask you that you wish we had? Okay, um, there is one you didn't, miss. and and Dave, I'm disappointed in you because I thought you'd ask it, but <laughs> you know, um, do you guarantee success if someone takes the time to read the Ultimate Guide for New Nonprofit CEOs? And I wish you asked that question because my answer will be yes, with the following caveat. And that caveat is simple isn't the same as easy. It's mm -hmm. simple for me to say, hey, if you pick up my book and read the ultimate guide for, for nonprofit CEOs, that yes, you'll be successful, but it's not going to be easy. And you can't, if you're going to get this book and read it, which I hope you do and share it with others, is that it's not going to be easy. But if I'll guarantee that if you follow my frameworks, as I'm suggesting, as I used the frameworks over the course of my career, you will be successful. Don't take any shortcuts. And there is, I like to say that this book is also a huge training manual for new CEOs and boards and if you're that person that has the fire in the belly and you're at, you know, that vice president of fundraising or you're starting your career in a, you know, nonprofit management program, this book is for you because it will challenge you to take a look at what's required to be an effective CEO in the nonprofit arena. And I'm really concerned and going back to, you know, how we started, because I think that's important, is that, um, you know, we're seeing turnover rates of, of CEOs uh, within 18 months that we've got to stem that tide. And I, I really believe that this book really addresses the onboarding issue that needs to occur. Um, I believe it addresses the issue of how boards can play an important role in that. And, you know, there's so much that we haven't covered here that uh, I know uh, a person when they pick it up, uh, they'll get a lot out of it. It'll guarantee their success. I do. I do. Yep. I love it. Well, I, I just want to let the audience know, I actually text Brian to say that, but um, <laughs> actually, Brian, I think for you to make such a confident 
statement about that. If people don't read this book, shame on them. I mean, yeah. this is really pretty amazing to take the collective time that you have done and to share your experiences to help others become successful is truly amazing. And it's just your continued commitment, not only what you've already done in the nonprofit space, but now what you're helping them do within the nonprofit space. I commend you for that. Thank you so, so much. So thank you so much. And we'll be right back after this. We are a team that has had an enduring influence on the nonprofit industry for more than three decades. We pride ourselves on developing and delivering technology with a purpose. Software born of a genuine understanding and passion for cause. We are relentlessly dedicated to our client's success. We are with our clients for good. We are Ariva, tech with purpose, driven by cause. Ariva is the trusted advisor and market leader of fundraising, donor relationship management, and auction software and services. Exceed further, our evolutionary all-in-one digital fundraising and donor relationship management software is helping nonprofits worldwide further their mission, transform fundraising, and cultivate relationships with donors and constituents. Our Maestro Auction virtual, live, and silent auction software, text-to-bid, virtual and mobile bidding software, and text-to-fund, text-based donation software are helping nonprofits raise billions of dollars through thousands of virtual fundraising events, charity auctions, and galas. Visit Ariva.com and reach out today and see how Ariva can help your nonprofit organization go further. Well, welcome back, everyone. All right, we're going to go into our next segment, which is always fun which is called Ask the Maestro. Jay, what questions do you have from our audience today? Well, I gotta tell you, David, uh, this question came from, from uh, Richard and this question is absolutely right up Brian's alley. So I'm gonna let him, I'm gonna let him answer, answer this one. Uh, Richard says, I'm stepping into a senior role with an organization who didn't have the strongest leadership team in the past. There is essentially no company culture and a distrust of senior management from the staff. Do you have any tips for building a successful relationship with this team who hasn't had the best experience with leadership before? It's all yours, Brian. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, once again, <laughs> get the book. <laughs> and is this person, is Richard a the new CEO or is he a part of the senior team? Yeah, he says he's stepping he's stepping into a senior role with an organization. Uh, right. So for, first time in a senior role and discovering there's no culture, there's no, you know, everybody's, there's a lot of infighting and they're not getting along, you know, but, you yeah. know, we, how, how do I get myself out of this soup? Yeah, I, I think he has a great opportunity to be a, a change agent. And sometimes fresh ideas, new outlooks um, are all it takes. And, you know, I like to think that when I work with boards and new CEOs, they basically are saying the same thing that Richard's saying. It's real important just to get down to the level of knowing where people are first and to really understand why that's going on. And, you know, it's shared ownership here, too. Um, and what I mean by that is, is there an effective board that realizes that that's going on? Yeah. Um, and, you know, those are changes that that need to be made, because at the end of the day, it's not about the staff. It's about the mission and the clients you serve. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, if people aren't getting along I hate to say it, you know, you'll have to build a case for change and change may require certain leaders, you know, being either shown the door, changing behavior, or a guy like Richard will get frustrated and who's probably a creative person and just say, you know, I'm going to go someplace else where I'm appreciated. Yeah. So people really need to listen and accept change. Um, and, you know, I, I can honestly say, and I'll say this to Richard, you know, I, I went into a situation one time where they said they had a $400,000 
budget problem and ended up being 1.5 million. Yeah. <laughs> um, like anything else, uh, it takes time to analyze why. Um, but change does begin with the individual. And, um, and, and Richard, thank you for your service and what you're doing and what you're about to embark on, because um, I think you'll be successful and hang in there and, um, you know, make the change happen uh, and make it one person at a time. Great, great answer. And uh, for those of you that would like to submit your question uh, to us uh, for the Ask the Maestro section, uh, you know, please go ahead and do that. And you'll hear some more words of wisdom uh, likely from our next guest. Thanks, Jay. Brian, it was a pleasure having you with us today. It was such a great treat. Thank you so much for all of your insights and advice to our listeners. I, I know they're going to get I got a lot out of it. And, and I've been in the positions that you've been saying, and I've I have followed your steps and I want to thank you for that indirectly, uh, directly. And uh, and he is right. I mean, you will set yourself up for great success. So I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to Driven by Cause while you're at it. Leave us not a four star, but a five star rating. And I also want to give you a thank you to our amazing sponsors, Ariva and Microsoft for their support and allowing us to be here with all of you today. Thank you. To all of our fantastic listeners, we hope you'll join us next time on Driven by Cause. Make it a great day. Thank you.